Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Taken by the Sea. This is the author, John Rosetta, and I have the great pleasure of bringing you the second part of my interview with Professor Peter Hoffenberg from the University of Hawaii at Manoa and the University of Haifa in Israel. And uh, we want to talk a little bit more about the uh, very important acts that happened during the 1830s, which were a big part of the story in uh, Chapter 3, which you've just listened to. This episode uh, specifically talks about um, a lot of the abolition and uh, uh, abolition acts uh, of 1832, as well as um, the Duke of Wellington, who, as you know, is a very important part of the story. So hope you enjoy it. Uh, please rate us on... Uh, where iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever you're uh, listening to us. And um, of course, if you could follow us on Facebook and Instagram, we'd really appreciate it too. So without further delay, let me uh, jump back into the, uh, the interview. So really, it seems like it's a clash of kind of quote unquote old Britain, the aristocracy, the the people who had been ruling it forever for hundreds mm-hmm. of years and kind of this new um new merchant class but also new ideas and and um i, I have two questions for you about the, the kind of reforms um first of all how did they uh determine who was now eligible to be in parliament mm-hmm. and and secondly when those new people came you know new quote-unquote new people mm-hmm. came in how how was that uh, kind of confluence of those worlds? How do they interact with each other? It's a great question. Um, the easy answers, uh, cause I don't know how much you want to get into the weeds. (laughs) uh, As a democracy, the U S at least allegedly, allegedly says that once you're here or born here, you get Mm. to vote. Now people are trying to chip away at that, but that's the heart of a democracy. Um, Britain's not a democracy. It's a liberal society. So you have to have a stake in society and the stake in society is property. So what you do is you no longer require property to be land. Property can be your business. Property can be your goods. The things Mm -hmm. merchants have. Now it's not to say no merchant had land, but no, but very rarely did a merchant have land to compete with the large landowner. So the way you open it up is you open up the definition and therefore the ownership of property. So middle-class people now, if they don't have property, they can't vote. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Property is always a certain level. And if you were to look into the future, uh, when does your character die? Uh, Amazingly, not until 1889. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So, very long the, life. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect yeah. for this answer. <laughs> okay, in, 18, in the 1850s, there'll be again what many of us think is a revolutionary moment, not like Lenin, mm-hmm. where the law is changed to allow a widow to inherit her dead husband's property. Hmm. Now, your listeners should stop for a minute. Yeah. yeah. Think about the ramifications. Right. That's not just a ramification of perhaps having control of property. It's a ramification that you have a stake in society. Mm-hmm. So it'll take a long time for what we call women, national women's suffrage. But almost right away, women vote in local metropolitan elections. Mm-hmm. They vote and sit on school boards. By 1867, uh, workers who 
have a certain amount of rent, right? They don't even need to own their lodging. If they pay rent, oh, wow. that's, that's considered a stake in society. Huh. All right. Wow. So it's not, I mean, we have to, uh, it's not a completely closed system, but it's also not even theoretically the open system of a democracy. It's a liberal regime where you vote if you have a stake in society. So reform, right? Reform doesn't just reflect the new stake. Reform ideally should open up the stake and allow more people to participate. Okay, so people looking at the Great Reform Bill of 1832 uh, had three reactions. Uh, oh my God, <laughs> everything has gone away. And there was there was there were opposition, a lot of opposition. Sure. Um, some said this this is great. This is all we'll really need. And others were very mm -hmm. perceptive. They said they've you've opened the floodgates. And that in fact is true. I mean, you can look at women's suffrage in after the First World War as in part being a continuation of this arc. Right. Putting up parliament. Uh, secondly, they made parliament larger, right? Because the landlords, of course, would have complained, right? If, right. <laughs> like, again, it's different, right? In Congress, we have a specific number, etc. Um, they expanded uh, the number of seats, both in lords and in commons. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, they still kept a lot of the the constituencies in the countryside, so it wasn't as if uh, they gerrymandered against the countryside. Uh, rural and urban uh, districts uh, coexisted side by side, so you got a sense that there was a city interest, and you got a sense that there was a country interest. Mm -hmm. um, the great novelists called that North and South, like North was the urban industrial interest. The South was the countryside and traditionalism. And there, uh, there are a lot of gray areas, but I think um, some of us, some professors, uh, what the French would call um, a distinction without a difference, like they just try to draw too fine a line. Right. But if you're sitting in the 1830s, 1840s, you easily talk about a country interest and you easily talk about an urban or city interest. That's mm -hmm. understood. Um, and it's understood that their their interests would not necessarily coincide right interesting um so when these different interests as you set set this up quite nicely when they get into parliament <clears throat> it sounds like they kind of slowly move towards a more liberal society um why um I guess, you know, it, it sounds like we kind of touched on uh, the Duke of Wellington. Was he kind of emblematic of more of the status quo, the people that right. had kind of grandfathered into those seats that you a mentioned? A um, absolutely. And he, he represented, uh, there are various gradients of aristocrats. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So he represented the most reactionary, the most conservative, the most connected to how things were. So those folks did not want Catholics to be emancipated. Mm. Uh, as I said, they really, they probably didn't have a lot of strong feelings about slavery, but they probably knew the slave lords. Um, mm. And when I say no strong feelings, it's more, they didn't have strong feelings about abolition. I mean, they, they thought, as unfortunately too many people still think today, uh, that the race of the slaves uh, made them. So uh, we're not talking about... Um, right innovative thinkers. <laughs> okay. 
Um, yeah. and, and Wellington, um, which is always an interesting issue, which again makes the U.S. a, a, a little different. Um, he's a military man. Right. You know, and you have to think about what that means in politics. In the U.S., it's often meant somebody rather liberal, like Grant, uh, even Washington. <laughs> okay, but it also can mean Zachary Taylor and people like that who are not. Um, so uh, he, yes, was prime minister, but quite clearly he was still, uh, you know, the hero of Waterloo. Uh, right. So I would say, yes, you're absolutely right. He was emblematic, both for the supporters and, as I mentioned, for the targets, uh, the anti and there was a fair amount of anti-establishment sentiment when Queen, Queen Victoria rode in her carriage to Buckingham Palace and Westminster Abbey. Same thing happened. Her carriage was pellet, uh, was pummeled and pelleted with, uh, pelted. Sorry, my English. I'm a little tired. I apologize. Oh, no, you're fine. Was, yeah. was pelted with sticks and rocks and excrement. Uh, and there was a, a Republican movement to get rid of the monarch. At that time, mm, which was interesting, which was pretty radical. Uh, yeah. in, in, uh, Britain had been a republic for eleven years, sixteen forty nine to sixteen sixty. So nobody should ever say that there's never been a republic. But uh, there, there were not a lot of fans of Cromwell, not a lot of fans of the New Model Army and the Puritans. Mm. So there was a republican tradition, and that that was that's one of the spikes in that republican tradition. I'd, I'd love to kind of pick your brain about um, about the abolition of slavery a bit mm-hmm. more. Um, what what kind of uh, what kind of factors led up to that, um, and how did um, uh, you know how did the merchants deal with it? Mm-hmm. How did the aristocracy deal with it? Because I'm I'm sure, uh, and you're an expert, <laughs> so I'll, no, I'll yield not, to you. I'm but not, I'm not an expert. You know. I mean, I I've written about it and studied. I'm not I'm not an yeah. expert. There are you know twenty five true experts. So let me, I'll probably <laughs> paraphrase what they had to say. Please, I guess yeah. one, way, one way to look at the um, abolition or emancipation movement is that a whole series of people uh, hated the plantation lords mm. for a whole variety of reasons. That did not necessarily mean they were sympathetic to the slaves. Some were. And it certainly did not mean, as we experienced with the tragedy of reconstruction that they believed in equality. All right. I mean, see, I think we need to put some things out there, right? They could agree on who the enemy was, the plantation lords. And I'll, and I'll go into various reasons why people uh, agreed on that. Uh, the concept of equality was found among a minority of people as perhaps even today, unfortunately it is. Mm, interesting. Um, so yeah. why did people oppose it? And how how did this collection of various characters and groups force through? Okay, so let me just give you some of the groups. Okay, um, the Quakers and some in the Anglican Church uh, advocated, as Livingston would do in the 1830s and 40s, advocated for the end of slavery. Hmm. Uh, their intention was, and, and I don't think people should be snarky or, um, you know, SOB-ish about it. Their intention was to liberate, liberate from slavery and also liberate from paganism and convert freed slaves to Christians. Hmm. And that works very well, very well with the idea 
that rather than working on plantations, they should work as wage laborers. So, but I think, again, this is, it's a really important issue you're addressing and an issue which we have to understand in context, right? So even Quakers probably would not have let their children marry a freed slave, all right? Probably not. That's interesting. I mean, there are exceptions, but you know, you could, you could hate slavery uh, for economic and philosophical and moral reasons and not be an integrationist, right? And not not be egalitarian. Okay, who else hated the slave trade? Free traders and merchants, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, right? right. The slave lords had an unfair economic advantage. Uh, the old system was called mercantilism, uh, which was filled with regulations and protections, mm. uh, uh, monopolies, and free traders, even before Adam Smith, but certainly people like to quote Adam Smith. There was never complete free trade. But the argument of making trade freer mm. meant the dismantling of, of slavery, right? There were philosophers, uh, this is a debate among historians, because Enlightenment philosophers, uh, some went the way of slavery or at least racism, okay? Uh, and some certainly invested in, in it'd be hard to find people who did not invest in slavery or the slave trade. Mm. In the 18th century, the slave trade was where you put your money in Britain. Wow. It's like interesting. 19th century go to railways. So it's very difficult to find uh absolute purity. That's it, it's difficult. Uh it is interesting though to see there were people who voted against their strict economic interests. That's an interesting mm-hmm. Okay. So philosophers and enlightenment figures uh also argued that like had been argued years ago about Native Americans, uh, Africans and slaves are part of the human family. You know, this was one of Darwin's arguments. They're part of the human family. Right. They're not, they are not to be treated like animals. Now, did that mean that they were equal in the human family? No, probably people did not argue that. But they argued for mm-hmm. what we call in the old-fashioned days uh, humanitarianism. And certainly humanitarianism was an important uh, argument. There are a couple other factors which um, I think helped fill the picture a little bit more. Uh, let's not discount the role of the slaves themselves. There are very serious slave rebellions, very serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we know in the U.S., for example, the Second Amendment is in really good part to suppress slave rebellions. There's nothing equivalent uh, in the Caribbean. Uh and push came to shove so that by the early 1830s, there was a major rebellion in Jamaica. Mm. And that, rather than fueling a reaction to continue slavery, as that, as that fueled in South Carolina and Brazil, it actually helped fuel the opposite, uh, including not, yeah. partic- not particularly mm-hmm. wanting to spend money. Like, there's a small army. I mean, I, I think right. it's yeah. not, England will dispatch its navy everywhere, but the English are not really keen, particularly after Waterloo and the Napoleonic Wars, they're not keen on sending their army for a long-standing battle. Mm. The last time they did it, the Haitians destroyed the British and the French. So the legacy of fighting in the Caribbean. So that's certainly an important, important element. Slaves themselves played an important role. Emancipated slaves played an important role. You know, they lobby. They'd be present. You can think about Frederick Douglass in the U.S. circumstance. 
and Frederick Douglass's very important relationship with Lincoln. Right. So you can see lots of characters, some of whom may not share much else, right? <laughs> they right. might not share much yeah. else. Like the merchants would like to destroy mercantilism so they could reduce wages, right? <laughs> the workers want to help destroy slavery for not just ideals of human egalitarianism, but be able to negotiate higher wages, right? So they can all agree, right, on ending mercantilism, but they can't agree where to go. So I think that makes it historically. It's a little bit like yeah. you uh, the great debates about World War II. Okay, it was necessary for the U.S. to ally with Stalin because yeah. most important was defeating the Axis powers. <laughs> then a lot of other right. things happened. Like, right. it's, not fair, it's not really fair to judge historical characters um, entirely unless you know what they knew and what they could predict. And as bad as Stalin was, he certainly did not seem to be Hitler. Right. Right. And it's a kind of a, a parallel there. We can all we all agree to abolish slavery, but you know what? Down the line, we're probably not going to agree on much else. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel a, a little naive because I, I guess um, you know there is that gray area of history, and uh, mm-hmm. I feel like um, <laughs> when when I was researching for this and I was looking at the abolition of, of slavery, I I suppose that. I at least wanted there to be a more of a moral impetus <laughs> for it. Yeah, but, no, and I'm sure there was. There, there certainly it sounds was. Like and, there was and please, uh, please know, remember that um, ideologies have a morality built into them. Liberalism mm. had a yeah. morality, sure. right? Socialism, sure. communism have a morality. Right. Certainly. And there were those yeah. who uh, were able to be both wanting money <laughs> <laughs> right. and in their minds being moral. Right, hmm. they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, even the slave owners, right? Uh, we see this in the state of Florida now. <laughs> even yeah. the slave owners made the argument, right, that right. they were doing moral good by providing work and homes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. one uh, issue which a lot of us grapple with is uh, the question of altruism. Hmm. Like, are you willing? But altruism requires you to do good without you're expecting any return for it. So that I think is difficult to find. So for example, religious Christian figures who oppose slavery did think that they were doing good works, right? Right. And some thoughts, and this is not to make fun of my means, it's a sincere thought, you know, that was part of their calling and that would, that would enable them to get to heaven. Okay. That, mm-hmm. So that's not really altruism. It's it's hard. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to find altruism in history, because um, mm. even the people who like self consciously say I'm going to do good, that does make them feel better about themselves. So that's not <laughs> right. That's true. It's yeah. a philosophical dilemma. But certainly there were moral reasons. I mean, Adam Smith began as a moral philosopher. I mean, his right. understanding of the economy was a moral yeah. critique. Um, some of the uh, Tories or conservatives who opposed slavery also thought it was a moral question. Hmm. So it was certainly there. Um, right. And there are uh, philosophical essays, etc. cetera. Um, but when it comes to a parliamentary majority, hmm. there had to also be some nuts and bolts issues.
Well, thank you again for listening, everyone. Uh, I learned a lot from Dr. Hoffenberg, and I hope you did too. I hope you really enjoyed these, uh, these interviews. Um, he has a lot to say, and I think we're going to have him back uh, for some future episodes as the story progresses. Uh, you're going to he- be hearing a little bit more of my voice. Uh, next time, I'm going to be answering more of your questions. Uh, we're going to have a similar author discussion uh, episode next time and uh, should be back in a few weeks and please uh, please send us your thoughts uh, through Facebook or Instagram we'd love to hear um, your feedback and uh, yeah thank you again for listening everybody it's, it's such a pleasure to bring these episodes to you and I uh, hope you're really enjoying them and if you are please uh, tell your friends and uh, thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time